Good evening, everybody. Amen. You look like a happy bunch. Yes, Bible says, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Yes. Amen. So I'd like for the happiest person in here to prove it. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Sit down, you bunch of fanatics. Amen. This morning, I shared with you uh, a word the Lord gave me yesterday after I checked in the hotel and also he awakened me this morning about two o'clock and gave me an, an, an additional word. And I shared those things with you. Uh, pertaining to breakthroughs. And I fully intended to start tonight uh, sharing with you the prophetic word the Lord has given me for 2024. But as I was praying today, I sensed the leading of the Holy Spirit to continue on this theme of breakthrough. And then tomorrow night and Tuesday night, we'll talk about the prophetic word for 2024. Amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you to be here if at all possible. Amen. It's a good word. You're going to like it. And, and uh, if you'll be obedient to it, then God will honor it in your behalf. And 2024 could be the finest year you've ever had up to now. Praise God. Amen. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. Now concerning... Spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. So that tells us that God wants us to know something about the, the gifts of the Spirit, to have knowledge of them, know how they operate, how they function, uh, what we do to position ourselves to experience them. I remember when I first came to the Lord, uh, and you've heard me say uh, back in 1969, I didn't know anything. As Brother Copeland has described himself, it's certainly fitting for the way I was at that time as well. I was scripturally illiterate. I did not know anything about the Word of God. In fact, I was shocked to find out that you could actually live by it. I thought it was just a history book, a story book, uh, talking about people that lived a long, long time ago that really didn't have any relevance to my life. Just just a book that, you know, you, you, you heard somebody talk about it when you went to church. And so I didn't know anything. And I certainly didn't know anything about gifts of the Spirit. In fact, I'd never even heard that phrase, gifts of the Spirit. And so here, uh, as I began studying the Bible, I shut my business down. The Lord said, give me three months, no less than eight hours a day. And at the end of those three months, your life will totally be changed and I'll make a minister out of you. And so I, I shut my business down and I turned my guest bedroom in my home and to my study. I would go in there at six o'clock every morning and I'd pray in the spirit for a while and then I'd start studying the word and I'd come out at noon and have uh, lunch with my wife and my children. They were just, the girls were just babies. My oldest daughter was born in 68, the youngest daughter 69. So they're just young girls. And then I would go back in there at one o'clock, wouldn't come out till five o'clock. And then I'd have dinner with the family. And then I'd do whatever they wanted me to do for the rest of the evening. And then when they went to bed, I'd go back in there and continue to study. Now, uh, I did that for three months. And when I came out of there, 
I had the fire of God in my eyes. I had the word of God in my heart, the power of God in my hands, and only one problem. One a soul wanted to hear a word I had to say. <laughs> and I like to say, uh, jokingly, but somewhat truthfully, uh, there were only four people in my city believed I was called, and two of them had begun to waver during that three months. Okay. <laughs> so what do you do now? I come out of there ready to preach and have no place to preach. Nobody wants to hear a word I have to say. So the Lord impressed upon me not to wait for an invitation. He said, make the streets your pulpit. Make the streets your congregation. And this is 1969. The hippie movement is still on. The drug culture is being introduced and it's moving forward rapidly. And so I've got people in the streets of my city that are trying to be hippies and they're trying to, you know, rebel and against everything. And then I had drug addicts. I had prostitutes, uh, uh, alcoholics in the streets. And that became my congregation. So I would go there every morning and I'd preach in the streets. I started my ministry as a street evangelist and I had such success in the streets with winning people to Christ and getting them delivered that the police department uh, began inviting me to come and preach in the jails every week. And so I had great success in the jails. God was doing miracles in the jails. Then the sheriff's department asked me to start going to all the prisons in the state of Louisiana. So I went into a prison ministry. Now there's only one problem with having a street ministry with hippies, drug addicts, prostitutes, alcoholics. The offerings are terrible. <laughs> and they were even worse going to the jails and even worse than that going to the prisons. So one day I said, Lord, when do we get paid? I got a family to take care of. And one night, uh, back in those days, Oral Roberts had a primetime television special that came on every week. And I never missed it uh, because it was uh, listening to Oral Roberts when I was about almost 11 years old when I heard the call to preach. And so after I finally surrendered my life to do that, uh, Oral Roberts became a faith hero to me. I'd never, not met him at that time, but I admired him, respected him, and, and hoped that someday I'd be able to just shake hands with him and say, thank you, sir. I'm in the ministry today because of you. And, uh, but I didn't know that how any of that would happen. But anyway, uh, he was on television that night, and he made an announcement. He said, I've just written a brand new book, and uh, if you'll write to me, and asked me to send it to you, I'll do so free and postpaid. I turned to Carolyn, I said, Carolyn, get the address. Here's one we can afford. And so <laughs> she wrote and Noah Roberts sent me that book or his office sent me that book. And it was entitled the, 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 um, um, the miracle of seed faith. And in that little book, I learned how to make God my source of supply. And it, it was a life changing little book. In fact, I've given it away to thousands of people all over the world. The miracle of seed faith. And uh, so sometime later, Brother Copeland was preaching in Fort Worth at Grace Temple, uh, who was pastored by Harold and Lou Nichols. They were his pastors. And Carolyn and I found out about it. And so we had decided to drive to Fort Worth and be in those meetings. He was going to be there about three days. We had just enough money to fill the car up with gas and drive over there. 
didn't even have a place to stay. Didn't couldn't couldn't afford a motel. Uh, we just we just we just got in there and went by faith. And uh, so uh, got there for the first service. Started on a on a mon on a uh, Monday morning. No, uh, Sunday night. Got there for the first service. And uh, after the service, uh, we were just going to stay in the parking lot all night if that's what it required, because we didn't have money for a hotel. And so we were going back to our car, and we were sitting there, and, and somebody came up and said, uh, uh, where are you folks staying tonight? And we said, well, we, we're, we don't know. Uh, if need be, we'll just stay right here in the car. Oh, no, don't do that. And it was turned out to be the pastor's oldest daughter <clears throat> and son-in-law, and they asked us, invited us to come home with them. So we spent the night with them that night. And then the next morning we got up early because we wanted to be the first ones in the church to get the front row seat. And we drove up to the church. And uh, when Brother Copeland uh, preached that morning, when he got through, now uh, uh, when he got through, we went back to the car. He was going to have a two o'clock service. We were just going to sit in the car and wait until that service began because he didn't have any money to go buy lunch and, and uh, if somebody would have invited us to lunch, we, we'd have to turn them down because we didn't know if they were going to buy or not, you know, and we didn't want to get shocked with uh, two bills, please, you know. And so we said, no, we'll just sit here. Carolyn made some peanut butter and crackers. And we had peanut butter and crackers. And, uh, and, and we were happy campers. Because we knew what we were hearing this man preach was about to take us out of bondage and into the promised land. Hallelujah. So we were happy. We didn't, we, if somebody had come up and said poor things, we'd have turned to look, see who they were talking to. Because we didn't, we didn't feel that way. We thought we were so privileged to be in this meeting, you know. So we went to the car and was going to wait until the two o'clock service. Well, Brother Copeland and Gloria and, and their two kids, Kelly and John, they were very young at the time. They walked by and Brother Copeland saw me in the car and he had, he had seen me in the meeting and uh, just waved at me. And he came over to the car and he said, uh, where are you and Carolyn going to eat today? I said, we're just going to sit here and, and wait till the two o'clock service. He said, oh, no, uh, you, you and Carolyn go with uh, Gloria and I. Uh, we'd like to buy you lunch. I thought, that's God. Hallelujah. <laughs> you have heard from God, you know. And so he said, we'd like to buy you lunch. So we said, okay. He said, follow us. So they took us out on Berry Street. I'll never forget as long as I live. Took us out on Berry Street to El Chico's restaurant, Mexican restaurant. And we had lunch with the Copas. We were, we were so, uh, I mean, we were just overwhelmed that we were sitting here with these, this couple whose ministry had changed our lives, you know? And, uh, uh, and then uh, they said, well, we're going to go back home. They lived not too far from the church and we're going to go back home and, and get ready. And then we'll see at the two o'clock service. So we drove back to the church and we went in and just sat until the service began. Then after the service, uh, uh, they invited us to go with them again to get something to eat. The next day, which was the last day, Brother Copeland invited us to go home with him and said, we'll, we'll have a sandwich or something at home. Go home with us. So we went home with them. That was the first time I'd been in 
their home. I knew it was close to the church, but I'd never seen it before, never been in it before. And so we went home with him. And uh, he took us into his study. He said, no, Jerry, uh, you can sit at my desk and I'm going to go pray and get ready for the service. Uh, this was after the afternoon service. Get ready for the evening service. He said, you, you, you folks just make yourself at home. Took us into the kitchen and, and said, uh, here's the refrigerator. Get anything you want. Here's the cabinet. Uh, you, you guys just make yourself at home. Gloria and I are going to go back to the bedroom and, and pray and rest a little bit and get ready for the service tonight. So I went to his study and Carolyn just sat in the living room and uh, I went in his study and sat behind his desk and he had this big Bible that had wide margins in it sitting there on the desk and he had all of his personal notes in the margin and I'm reading them personal notes. Dear Lord. And I'm flipping through there and reading all these personal notes. It was revelations he had received as he was studying. And oh, of course, back then there wasn't cell phones. If there had been, I'd have took a picture of every page, you know. You know? And, and so I said, in the name of Jesus, I have the mind of Christ. I'll remember everything I'm reading. And I, when I get home, I'll put it in my Bible. And that's exactly what I did. I, I remembered it all. And when I got back home, I wrote all those notes around those scriptures in my Bible. And so uh, he came in the uh, study there, which was unlike him because he, when he said he was going to go prepare for the service, then the last voice he wanted to hear was the voice of God. He didn't want to talk to other people, you know. So when he went into that service, he, he knew he had the mind of the Lord for how to conduct that service and what to say. But he came back in the study and he said, Jerry, uh, God spoke to me and said, you've been studying the gifts of the spirit and you want to know more about them. He said, sit down there and ask questions that you'd like to ask. So I had read in, in Corinthians, you know, that we were to uh, covet the best gifts. So that's where I started. I said, Brother Copeland, what's the best gift? Now, I'm, I'm reading all nine gifts of the Spirit. Which is the best gift? And I'll never forget what he said. I thought, why didn't I think of that? He said, the best gift is the one you need at the time. Amen. Amen. You don't need a word of knowledge when you're praying for people's healing necessarily. You know, you, you might need that, but, but the gift of healing would probably yes. take care of it. Yes. You know, and, and so he said, the best gift is the one you need at the time. Well, that was a great revelation to me. And then I said, well, well how, do, how do you get to the place where God trusts you to use you? Do you have to be like you or Kenneth Hagin or Roberts? He said, no. The Bible says right here where you're reading that these gifts are given to every man to profit with all. Are you an every man? I said, yes, sir. He said, then God will allow you to operate in those gifts. He said, now, it, it, it not just like apples falling off of a tree, you know, you have to uh, spend quality time with God, praying in the spirit, listening to his voice and so forth, but God will use you in those gifts. And uh, he, he continued to explain some things to me. And then he said, now I got to go and get ready for the service. 
So I'm sitting there and, and I, I, I saw a, a little tablet there and I started writing those notes that he shared with me. And then when we got ready to go to the service, uh, when Pastor Nichols turned it over to Brother Copeland, he began preaching and then he stopped. He, he had a habit of doing this with me. 15 minutes into his sermon, he just stopped. Jerry, Jerry, I never knew what he's going to do. And finally, I decided one day, I am not going to let him catch me off guard anymore. I'm going to pray in the spirit and I'm going to be in tune with him and I'm going to know what he wants me to do before he asks me to do it. And I got that way. Okay. And so uh, he said, Jerry, stand up. Well, I didn't know what he's going to do. And then he said, prophesy. Prophesy. I just found out where First Corinthians was today. <laughs> Prophesy. And I said, no. He said, what? I said, no. He said, why aren't you going to prophesy? He said, it's running around in you right now. The Lord told me that, that he had already spoken and you have his word. Prophesy. I said, no. He said, you're not going to obey God? No. I was afraid I'd say something wrong. And he said, I know what you're thinking. You're afraid you're going to say something wrong. I said, yes, that's what I'm concerned about. He said, well, God will correct, correct it. I'm here. I, I've heard God. I know what he wants you to say. I'll correct it if you're wrong. So go ahead and speak it out. I said, no, <laughs> I wouldn't do it. And so he explained to the audience, the congregation, brother Jerry's been, God's been dealing with him about the gifts of the Spirit, and, and we had a discussion about them today, and, and I, I knew God wanted to use him in them, and he said he's a little bit concerned that he might make a mistake. He said, what, what are you concerned about, Jerry? I said, well, I might prophesy somebody's supposed to go to Africa, and they got killed over there because they really were supposed to go to New Zealand or somewhere, you know, and... <laughs> He said, oh, Jerry, don't, don't think about like, think like that. I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do it. If you want to prophesy, you can do it yourself. <laughs> so, so I just stood there and he said, come on up here. I just stood there next to him and he started prophesying. I knew the next word's going to come out of his mouth. I heard it on the inside. I could have, and he told me, he said, anytime you want to take over, I'll just stop and you finish it. I said, No. <laughs> And I wouldn't do it that night. Now, I went home after that meeting and, and you know, the devil jumped all over me. You know, well, you know, you're going to be a big faith man and you won't even prophesy, you know. And you won't even obey the, the, the prophet, you know. And he just jumped right in the middle of me. And, uh, and I had to, you know, resist all that condemnation and all that stuff. And then I said to the Lord, I said, uh, that'll never happen to me again in Jesus' name. I'll become sensitive to your, your voice and sensitive to the leadership of the Spirit. And then whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it without reservation and without hesitation. And I've kept that promise all these years. Okay. So notice here, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how they function, how they operate. Now you might say, well, what has that got to do with the breakthrough? Everything. Let me try this out of the auditorium. <laughs> Everything. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit is crucial to breakthroughs. 
I'll say it again. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit is crucial to experiencing breakthroughs. Amen. We're going to get into this tonight. Hallelujah. Now, this is the way the message translation says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. What I want to talk to you about is how God's Spirit works in our lives. This is complex and often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. Now, that's how Paul addressed this from the message translation. Notice God wants us to be informed and knowledgeable. Then Paul begins to explain how the gifts of the Spirit function and how they operate. And you can follow along in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So notice here, it's not just for some, not, not just something for preachers only to operate in. It's given to every man to profit with all. Do you consider yourself an every man or every woman? So it's not limited to fivefold ministry. So notice it's available and notice it says, and, and in so uh, doing and operating in them, it's profitable. It's profitable. Say it's profitable, it's profitable. or beneficial. Yes. Okay. Now the message translation says this. Everyone gets in on it and everyone benefits from it. Everyone can get in on it and everyone can benefit from it. That means the lay person, the person in the congregation that's never preached a sermon in their lives. You, you, you need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit just like the preacher does. Amen. Because he wants to lead and guide you. Uh, part of experiencing breakthroughs is being in the right place at the right time. Thank you for your enthusiasm. A major part of experiencing a breakthrough is being in the right place at the right time. And in order to be in the right place at the right time, you have to be led by the Spirit. Amen. Now the Bible tells us, lean not to our own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So sometimes it's not in us <clears throat> to have the ability to direct our own paths. We need help. Amen. With where to go and what to do. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's our helper. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you have a helper? And you're not in this all by yourself and all alone because if that's the way it would be, if that's the way it is, then you and I'd be in serious trouble because I need the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life. And not just when I'm standing behind this pulpit, I need it every day of my life. Every day. Hallelujah. Do all of you pray in the Spirit every day? I know a lot of Christians that, that they think it's a one-time experience. You know, some denominations, uh, uh, they, they get filled with the Holy Ghost and, and they think, okay, uh, I've, I've been baptized in the Holy Ghost and, and then that's the last time they pray in tongues and pray in the Spirit because they thought it was a one-time experience. The Apostle Paul said, I'm glad I pray in tongues more than y'all. 
and I'm right up there next to him. Praise God. Amen. I pray in the spirit all the time, all the time, all the time. Hallelujah. And that's how I, I receive insight. Uh, Brother Oral Roberts taught me this many years ago, that praying in the Spirit will cause you to have insights, ideas, and concepts. Amen. Insights, ideas, and concepts. And that's the reason I learned when I go into a project or, or God gives me a new endeavor that He wants me to, to pursue, then the first thing I do, and I learned it from all Roberts, is pray in the Spirit. Don't just jump up and do something. You know, don't, 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 don't waste energy doing something that you came up with in your mind when it's not likely that's what God wants you to do and how He wants you to do it. Don't lean to your own understanding. Pray in the Spirit first. Amen. Pray in the Spirit first. And, and the Spirit of God will give you the wisdom Amen. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge. Amen. And the Bible says, if any man like wisdom, let him ask from God, who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. In other words, God's not withholding his wisdom. He just simply says, ask for it and you'll receive it. Praise God. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. So the gift that I want to focus on tonight is the gift of the word of wisdom. The gift of the word of wisdom. Now, what I'm sharing with you tonight is right hot off the press. I wrote all these notes today. When, when I have, I, I do all my notes handwritten. I mean, you know, I've got iPads and iPhones and your phone and my phone and all that stuff. <laughs> but I'm still old school. I think I may be the only person in my entire organization that still uses scratch pads, you know. They all carry around their computers and all this fancy stuff. I'm not savvy with computers. I don't know much about them, but I know how to believe God for them for everybody on my staff to have one. That counts for something. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So I, I, I do, you know, just write it all out. And then when I get through preaching it, then I take it home to my secretary and she does nicely and deciphers my language. And types it out. Hallelujah. But see, she hadn't even seen this yet, so she'll get it when I get home. Okay. Now, let me, let me read something here to you. The gift that I want to focus on, as I mentioned earlier, is the gift of the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is crucial for breakthroughs. It's knowing what to do. It's knowing when to do it. And it's knowing how to do it. It's also knowing where to be to position yourself to experience the breakthrough. Because yes, breakthroughs, uh, by and large, take place when you're in the right place at the right time. Let me give you an example of it before we go on. A number of years ago, uh, I, was, I was invited to preach in this particular church. And... Uh, the church was an extremely large church, had four Sunday morning services. Uh, I think a total congregation of about 6,000 people. And they, they had four Sunday services. They came and got me at 6 o'clock in the morning. 
And by the time I got out of those services, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I had to fly to California. And, and uh, I had uh, been approached by a man while I was in California on a previous trip. And he said, would you ever consider coming to this particular city? He said, I, I began a Bible study with 10 Native Americans, a little small tribe in our community. And they, they've asked me to ask you if you would consider coming and sharing the word with them. And so uh, I was praying and one day I was praying in the spirit and I really didn't have this, this on my mind. And, and I had already agreed to go to this church where there was about 6,000 people, four services a day. And uh, I was praying in the spirit one day and the Lord said, I want you to, when you finish that church, go to that city in California and, and speak to those 10 Native Americans. Now he had, this, he had the Bible study in his home, in his living room. Okay. Now I preached four services that morning to a total, if you add them all together, about 6,000 people. When I left at three o'clock that day to get on the airplane and fly to California, the pastor handed me an offering. And I won't tell you what it was, but it was a very small amount. Okay. So I thanked him for it. Uh, in the natural, you would have thought, okay, you would have thought when you preach four services, 6,000 people, the offering would probably be considerably large. It was very small, very small offering. Okay. So I had one of my associates with me, traveling with me, and I said to him, because I, I don't handle the money, I, I give it to one of the guys that are traveling with me. Joe's usually got it, or, or Aaron, uh, Eric, uh, and, and very seldom I even look at the amount. And they just turn it into the accounting department, and then I get reports later, okay? So the gentleman that was traveling with me, uh, he saw me open it on the airplane, and I showed him the amount. And he said, Brother Jerry, that's very small, isn't it? I said, well, you would think so with preaching to that many people and that many services. But I just want to show you that God always takes care of us. I never go anywhere based on a financial arrangement. Okay. And a lot of times I'll preach and turn around and give the money back to the pastor, give the money back to the church. Okay. So I don't go for their offering. The offering helps. Okay. But even if I don't take it or I won't, I don't receive it. Uh, God's always taking care of us. He just has us. He just does it another way. Okay. So anyway, he said, well, that's a very small offering for the amount of services you preached and the amount of people you preached to. I said, yes, in the natural it is. I preached for smaller churches and got 10 times that amount, you know. And I said, but I want you to see and let this be a lesson to you that God always takes care of us. So I don't worry about it. I don't fret over it. I'm not going to be critical of that pastor. God takes care of us. So we got there and this gentleman picked us up and took us out to his house. And there in that living room was 10 Native Americans. And when I got through teaching them that night, just standing 
They're all sitting on sofas and chairs and I'm just standing there in front of them and, and teaching for about an hour and a half, two hours nearly. And when I got through, uh, the, the gentleman, their pastor, uh, said to me, Brother Jerry, uh, we've been believing that you would come and then when you said you would come, we've been receiving offerings and we have a gift to give you and it's already been received well in advance and uh, so here's your offering tonight. <laughs> Ten little Indians <laughs> gave me $20,000. I turned to my associate and I said, see this? Let that be a lesson. God always takes care of us. Amen. So that breakthrough came as a result of, first of all, praying in the spirit. Okay. And the Lord said, go to that place. Go to that, that place where the 10 Native Americans were. Okay. So that was a word of wisdom. And the word of wisdom produced a breakthrough. So the word of wisdom is crucial to breakthroughs. It's God revealing to you what to do, how to do it, where to go to make it happen. Amen? Are you still here? Now, notice in verse 8, it talks about, uh, for, there is, there, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. So the word of wisdom is available to each and every one of us. The only reason most Christians don't operate in it they never even think about it. They just do things right off the top of their head. You know, just, just, just run around and do whatever they think is best. The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right to a man. Well, if there is a way that seems right, then I like to say this. There is a way that is right. I ain't got time for the way that seems right. I need the way that is right. And the way that is right always leads to a breakthrough, praise God. Can you say Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to hear this. Pay attention. <laughs> now, the gift of the word of wisdom transcends human intellect or human insight. It's supernatural and it is imparted by and through the Holy Spirit. It's possible for us to tap into it by praying in the Spirit or praying in other tongues. Okay? Paul tells us, that when we pray in the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 2, we are speaking mysteries. How many of you pray in the Spirit? Pray in the Spirit now. Just continue to do so for a moment. Okay. Do you understand anything you just said? You know what you just did? You spoke mysteries. You spoke mysteries. Now, the Amplified Bible says, not only do we speak mysteries when we pray in the Spirit, we are speaking secret truths and hidden things. Secret truths and hidden things. Hidden mean not obvious to the natural mind. Okay? So, you say, well, what good does that do me if it's not obvious to my natural mind? Well, that's reading in verse 13. He says that any man that prays in an unknown tongue, let him also pray that he may interpret. Pray that he interpret. Why? Because in verse 14, he says, the mind's unfruitful. The mind is unfruitful, meaning 
you don't understand what you've said in the spirit. Okay. Now, I learned this more Roberts years ago. Brother Roberts told me, and you've, you've had Richard Roberts here, and he may have even touched on it while he was here. Brother Roberts told me, and I was privileged to serve on his board for over 20 years up until the time he went home to be with the Lord. He was a, he was a dear personal friend. He spent time in our home. We spent time in his, and he was, he was one of my, my senior mentors and uh, loved the man dearly and miss him greatly. And he told me years ago that everything he had ever done in his ministry, before he ever did it, he prayed in the spirit and then prayed for the interpretation. And then what he got by interpretation, that's what he went and did. And it worked. He said, that's how I built Oral Roberts University. That's how I've done everything I've ever done in this ministry by praying in the spirit first and then praying that my mind would become fruitful or that I would interpret. Amen. Now, most Christians that pray in the spirit never think about that because they think you can only pray that you interpret when you're in a church service. Of course, you know, Paul goes on and says that if everybody prays in tongues in a church service, no one understands the meaning. So what profit is it? And of course, if, if somebody prays in tongues in a service, you know, I mean, it's not uncommon sometimes where people will stand up and, and, and start praying in tongues and there won't be any interpretation. What benefit did it have with the congregation? Amen. And there, there have been times when I used to rent convention centers all over the country uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, somebody would jump up and start just interrupt me and start praying in tongues real loud, you know, and, and, uh, and, and no one would interpret. And, and sometimes I would, I would send someone out in the audience and get that person and bring them up and say, do you have the interpretation for that? No. I just felt I was supposed to pray in tongues. Well, what good did it do us? Nobody understood. What good did it do us? You know, and if I, I had the interpretation and I would give it, if not, I might ask if there was pastors in the meeting that I knew and had confidence in, uh, brother so-and-so, did you, did you receive the interpretation? Yes, sir, I did. Well, stand up and give it. I mean, don't just jump up and pray in tongues in a church service if, if nobody's going to interpret. What good is it? Amen. Now, there's people come over some goofy things. Brother Copeland and I were in El Paso, Texas back in 1972 at the Hilton Hotel out near the airport. You want any more details? And uh, some guy stood up while Brother Copeland was preaching. And I'll never forget the message he was preaching. He was talking about the Abrahamic covenant. And this guy just stood up and interrupted Brother Copeland and just started blaring out in tongues. Brother Copeland said, hold that, sir. Hold that. Wait until I'm through. Then you can give it. Well, he was belligerent. He wouldn't do it. He just kept doing it and got louder. Would you please hold that, sir? Wait just a moment. I'm about through. I want to cover this point, and then you can do that. And he said, no, sir, it won't wait. It can't wait. <laughs> Brother Cobb said, well, do you have the interpretation of it? Yes, I do. Well, then give it. You've already 
blown the anointing in here. You know, Brother Colton is very straightforward, you know. You've already blown the anointing in here. Go ahead and give it. And this guy, this was the interpretation he gave. Having a wonderful app, uh, thus saith the Lord, having a wonderful time up here. Wish you were here. Are you kidding me? Having a wonderful time up here. Wish you were here. I, I had an image of God on a surfboard and, you know, on the, on the, on the Red Sea or something, you know, he had a wonderful time up here. Wish you were here. Another time, a, a guy, and, and it, this was in a meeting in Kansas City with me and Brother Coburn and Hilton Sutton. And this guy got up while Hilton Sutton's preaching and started prophesying. And he said, he started speaking in tongues, and then he decided to give the interpretation. Was I not with Joshua when I split the Red Sea? Was I not with Joshua when I did this and so? Was I not with Joshua when I did this and that? And then he stopped and he said, the Lord hath made a mistake. It wasn't Joshua, it was Moses. The Lord hath made a mistake. <laughs> Sit down, clown. <laughs> so with it, not only when we, we have a, an utterance given in tongues in a church service, there should be an interpretation. Amen. And if nobody has it, then don't do it. <laughs> Amen. Now, there, there are times, and I've told our pastor back home, Justin, he, he's a graduate of my Bible school and eventually began to pastor our church. I'm the founding pastor, but he's the pastor. And uh, he said to me one time, he said, uh, Brother Jerry, uh, we've got some people that are standing up and wanting to prophesy and so forth. And I said, well, Justin, I watch the services when I'm, when I'm away. Uh, if, I, if I have an opportunity, I'll, I'll watch them. And I said, uh, son, you're having too much of a lull, I call it, L-U-L-L, -L, I guess is the way you say uh, uh, What's another word that would be good? Uh, a pause. Pause. You've got, you've, you've got a long pause. And people think that's their opportunity to get up and, you know, say whatever. I said, and I know what you're doing. You're endeavoring to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But you're also inviting error. So be prayed in the Holy Spirit before you get in the service so you'll know what to do when you get to the service and you won't have all that space between, you know, and because and, and, there's always somebody wanting to jump up and prophesy and, and make them look spiritual. Did I lose my crown? Nobody jumped up to prophesy. <laughs> so if we're going to prophesy, if we're going to speak in tongues in church, then let it, let it be interpreted. But it doesn't end there. How many of you pray in the spirit at home? How many of you pray in the spirit in your car? How many of you pray in the spirit wherever you get an opportunity to pray in the spirit? Well, wouldn't this apply to you? Let him also pray that he interpret. You have the ability and the privilege and the approval of God to interpret. Amen. 
Now, don't just, just come up with something, you know, pray in tongues for a little while and then say, uh, thus saith the Lord, I'm going to get a million dollars. Pray in the spirit and listen. Listen. And it may not come, you know, that first time around and just pray in the spirit. That's what I do every year in, in the month of October when I set aside the first couple of weeks to receive the word of the Lord for the coming new year. I go to this special place that I go every year to pray and I, I begin praying in the spirit. And if I don't hear anything right away, I just keep praying in the spirit. Sometimes I don't, I don't even get the, the word of the Lord before I finish that day. So I'll just come back tomorrow. I'm not going to make something up. I don't, I don't want to ever be called guilty of standing in front of a congregation and saying, thus saith the Lord, and it just be something I made up. Amen. I want to be accurate, praise God. Not only that, but I have a, a good reputation of being a man of integrity and I don't want to blow it by just making something up. Amen. So I pray in the spirit and then when I, 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 I hear what I've been praying in the spirit and my mind becomes fruitful by way of the interpretation, then I write it down and that's what I preach on all year long until the next October when I go before him and seek the word of the Lord for the coming new year. Amen. 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 And sometimes that's a process. It doesn't happen immediately, but Hey, how desperate are you for the wisdom of God? That's the question. How desperate are you for the wisdom of God? Amen. Because the wisdom of God is crucial to your breakthrough. Amen. It's crucial to your breakthrough. Okay. So let him speak, let, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray also that he may interpret or have the ability to understand what he's prayed in the spirit, understand those mysteries and those secret truths that he's been speaking in the spirit. The message translation says, pray for insight. The passion translation says, pray to be able to unfold the meaning of what you're saying. Amen. And the results will be the wisdom of God. Now, I, I like to refer to it once again as knowing what to do, when to do it, where to do it, and where to be to make it happen. Yes. Being in the right place at the right time. Yes. Amen. Uh, many years ago, I was, uh, I'd come home from a series of meetings and I, I just wanted to be home. I just wanted to rest. I wanted to be home. I wanted to be with my family. And there was a, a friend of ours that was getting married. And uh, I'll be honest, I really didn't want to go to the wedding. I was, I was just wanted to be home. Okay. But, um, you, you know, I had it on my mind and I'm praying in the spirit. And the Lord said, go. I want you to go. Honor your friend, but I have something that uh, I, I have in store for you. So I went, Carol and I went. And we're, we're just, you know, visiting after the wedding with, with the guests and so forth. And a man walked up to me and said, Brother Jerry, you don't know me that well, but you knew my father very well. He said, uh, my father loved your ministry. Uh, he loved Brother Copeland's ministry. 
you and he served on Brother Copeland's board. Uh, he was a partner with you both and said, you know, my father was a businessman. He owned several businesses in Fort Worth. And uh, when, he, when he went home with me with the Lord, I inherited the businesses. But none of us knew in the family that the businesses were in the condition that they were in. We were about to lose everything. And said, and a lot of the business, uh, a lot of our personal assets were tied to the business. And said, we're about to lose everything. And this has been an extremely wealthy family for years. Very well-known family in Fort Worth. And he said, uh, and, and now I'm stuck with what to do uh, because we're about to go under. And he said, and I got a hold of your book. And I had just, I'd just written it some short time before. And it was entitled, From Devastation to Restoration. From Devastation to Restoration. He said, now, I got that book, and I've already read the whole book one time. I'm, start, I'm on my second time to read it. And he said, and I just want you to know, well, what I'm learning in this book, I believe God is going to restore our businesses. And then he said this, and when he does, I'm going to bless your ministry big time. He said, now, once again, you don't know me as well as you knew my father, but my father, uh, he taught me how to back my word, be an honest man. He said, so you just wait. When, when God turns this all around, I'm going to bless your ministry big time. I said, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Now, I've had lots of people tell me things like that over the years. I, I say jokingly, if, if everybody did what they promised me they would do, I wouldn't have to receive another offering till mid-millennium. <laughs> yes. But not everybody follows through. No. And they mean well, they, they have good intentions, but a lot of them never follow through. And then, uh, you know, if, if they have challenges that, that cause them not to be able to follow through, they never even let us know about it. They just drop it and never say another word about it. And, you know, and I don't hold them to it. So anyway, I just went on uh, and went back home. And then sometime later, now see, I'm talking about being in the right place at the right time through the wisdom of God. Okay. And sometime later, we got a check in the mail and our in-house accountant said, Brother Jerry, we got a check in the mail I thought you'd be interested in. And she showed it to me and it was a check for $300,000 from this man, from his business. Okay. And so I called him and prayed with him over. And he said, I told you that when God turns this around and he's begun turning it around, that I'm going to bless your ministry big time. Well, it wasn't long after that. We got another check for a quarter of a million dollars from his business. And he's put on there, God's turning it around just like he said he would. I'm going from devastation to restoration, you know. Well, then he got a, we got another check for another $250,000, okay? Then one day, after I flew home from a meeting and I, uh, I've left the airport where we keep our airplane and I'm heading home. I get a call from him. He said, are you in town? I said, I just got in town. <clears throat> he said, can you come by my office? I said, well, I'm not sure where your office is. He said, it's, it's the same office that dad had. You know where it is. You'd been here before. I said, okay, I remember where it is. He said, come by. I need to talk to you. I said, okay, I'll do it on my way home. So I got over there and uh, I went into his office, which had been his dad's office, and he called his wife in. 
Now he, he's a great big tall Texan. I mean tall Texan. He must have worn a size 12 cowboy boot. I mean, and he's sitting in this chair, leaned back with his boots on the desk. Got a big old 10-gallon hat hung on the coat rack over there and talks like a Texan, you know. He said, Jerry, I told you God's going to turn this around. I've gone from devastation to restoration. And then he hollered, we, we call it hollered at his wife, you know, you probably would say he spoke kindly to her, but <laughs> he, he didn't go on the intercom or the phone. He, Sweetheart, get on in here. Brother Jerry's here. So she was in another office. She came in there and sat down and he's, he's got his, I'm looking between his legs. He's got, he's got these boots on the table, lean back in that chair. And, and then he said, uh, uh, we wanted to give you something and we just wanted to see the expression on your face when you got it. I said, okay. So he took his foot and pushed an envelope over in front of me. And he still leaned back like this and pushed the envelope there. And, and I reached down and picked up the envelope. He said, open it. And I opened it and it was a check for a million dollars. Amen. A check for a million dollars. Now this man has gone home to be with the Lord since then. But before he went home to be with the Lord, he put $2.3 million in our ministry. Amen. Now notice this all started by praying in the spirit, getting God's direction, being in the right place at the right time. I had no idea when I went to that wedding, it was going to turn into a $2.3 million blessing. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah, praise God. Amen. You, you, you can't, I said, it, I heard the Lord say it to me one time like this. He said, all I need is your faith. I don't need your help. Amen. I, all I need is your faith and I don't need your help. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been the God of the breakthrough for a whole lot longer than you've known me. Amen. So I don't need your help. All I need is your faith. Praise God. You ought to write that down and take it home with you. Praise God. So, once again, I like to refer to uh, the, the, the gift of the word of wisdom as knowing what to do and where to go in order to position ourselves for the breakthroughs that we're believing for. And I, I also like to refer to it as knowing how to be in the right place at the right time. Now, this is a prayer that I pray for our family, for all my children, my, my two daughters, my grandchildren. Now I have two great-grandchildren. And I pray this prayer all the time. Lord, may every member of our family be in the right place at the right time. And may not one member of our family be in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's important too. Because you, 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 it could cost you your life being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Amen. So, Lord, cause me and all of our family to be in the right place at the right time and never in the wrong place at the wrong time. Amen. Now, recently I read a scripture <coughs> excuse me, that really spoke to my spirit. And I, I think it's going to speak to you as well. Are you ready to hear it? Yes. Well, tomorrow night we'll talk about that verse. <laughs> Just want to make sure you're still paying attention. 
I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 8. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 8. Is it all right with you that I've gone this direction? Praise God. Is it helping you any? All right, now, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 8. I'm going to read it from the King James, and then I'm going to read it from the Classic Amplified. It's a verse that, that spoke to my spirit and, and uh, has helped me greatly in positioning myself for breakthroughs. Verse 8 in the King James, Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Now, that may not speak to you, but listen to the classic Amplified. Oh, I love it. Let fall in showers the heavens above. Let the skies rain down righteousness, the pure, spiritual, heaven-born possibilities. Heaven-born possibility. That's the phrase that jumped out of the book into my heart. Heaven-born possibilities that have their foundation in the holy being of God. Heaven-born possibilities. Say that with me. Heaven-born possibilities. Say it again. Heaven-born possibilities. And it says they have their foundation in God. Or in other words, they emanate from Him. When you and I pray in the Spirit, speaking mysteries and secret truths, we also position ourselves to receive heaven-born possibilities. Heaven-born possibilities. Now, I gave you an example, uh, a portion of it this morning, but I want to go back and, and, and go back to cover the detail of it now to show you what I mean about heaven-born possibilities. So, way back in 1981, uh, Carol and I bought a little small piece of property out on the south side of Fort Worth in a community called Crowley, Texas. It's a farming community. Uh, People had farms out there that that had been passed down from generation to generation. And uh, uh, we, we... came across a gentleman that only had five acres. He was up in his 80s and he was ready for he and his wife to, to move uh, in town closer to his, his uh, sons and their wives and their grandchildren and he, he, he wasn't able to take care of five acres anymore. And so we purchased that piece of property from him. And it's, it had an old house on it, a wood frame house that, had been, that he built in 1946. And so uh, Carolyn's dad and his brothers, they're all in the, the construction business, home builders. And so when we bought it, Carolyn's dad said he would come over and bring his brothers and, and their crews and they would uh, redo the house for us and, 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 and remodel it and expand it. And so uh, when they finished it, there was about 3,600 square feet that went from about 1,000 square feet to 3,600 square feet and built. And I wanted it to look uh, uh, like ranch style. 
because there was nothing out there. It was all vacant land, undeveloped land, and I had intended to get back into uh, horses and cattle. And so that's the way I grew up, and that's, that's what I wanted to do. And so eventually, uh, I built barns, and I built stables, and had horses and cattle. And uh, uh, then we, I would take my horse, and, and I would ride him on the property across the road from me that was vacant, didn't have a fence, didn't say posted, keep out. And it was just property that I would ride my horse on. And one day when I, I, I came back from riding the horse and I was going to put him in the stable, uh, there was a car between my house and that property and an elderly man standing out beside it. And when I rode up next to him, he just got all over me. I mean, he was very hateful. And he said, uh, who told you I could, you could ride on my property? I said, well, nobody. I just didn't know who owned it. There's no fence on it. There's no keep out signs. And I just enjoy riding my horse over here. He said, well, it's my property. And I don't want you on it. Don't ever be on it again. Just real hateful. And then he got in his car and drove off. And I said, he couldn't hear me. I said, oh man, you don't know who you're talking to. If you don't be a little nicer to me, I'll wind up owning all of this. Is 102 acres. I think you know where I'm headed. I wound up with all 102 acres, okay? Now, we, 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 uh, it's a, there's another story in that, but it was a heaven-born possibility, okay? And I got it for a ridiculous price. And, and the only way I got it for that price was the favor of God. Because the, the, it had been repossessed twice before I bought it. And they still had a lien of $1.3 million on it. And the government agency that called us about it said, you people seem the only ones building out there and not, not going bankrupt. Uh, we want this property off our books. Make us an offer. And I had, the Lord had told me that I could have all that land I wanted and pay whatever I wanted to pay for it. He said, if you'll be patient, I will arrange for you to have all that land you want and pay whatever you want to pay for it. So I called my attorney and I said, Wayne, do you remember what the Lord said to us about that property? He said, yes. I said, well, call this agency, a government agency that had repossessed it. And I said, tell them, I don't even want to pay the $1.3 million lien. I'll give them $200,000 cash. I want the lien removed. I want a clear title and I want the mineral rights. Wayne said, done, Brother Jerry. I'll call him and I'll call you back this afternoon. So he called them and said, I represent Jerry Savelle Ministries. And uh, he received a phone call from your agency and saying that your superiors asked him to make an offer. And here's the offer. He wants the lien removed He'll give you $200,000 cash. He wants a clear title and he wants the mineral rights. And there was total silence. He said, are you listening? They said, yes, but that's so ridiculous. We're not even going to present it to our superiors. He said, yes, your superiors told you to get Mr. Savelle to make an offer. And here's his offer. And we will expect to hear from you later this afternoon. And then he asked him this. Does anybody up there believe in miracles? And the guy he was talking to said, no, we work for the government. We don't see miracles. <laughs> Amen. That's what they told Wayne. 
And so he told me. And so uh, later I had to fly up to New York City. And uh, Jesse DePlantis and Kathy, they were going to meet us there. We were going to spend a couple of days just, you know, uh, going to a, a show and having some fellowship and so forth. And then Jesse and I were starting a meeting in Philadelphia the following week. So now we're up in Philadelphia and Wayne calls me. And he said, Brother Jerry, I, I talked to them. And uh, when I answered, they opened the conversation with, we now believe in miracles. <laughs> he said, Brother Jerry, you got that property for $200,000 cash. The lien's been removed. You're going to have a clear title and you got the mineral rights. Okay. So we, we had the land. All right. Now we, we were just sitting on it. Okay. Just sitting on it. Well, not long after that, we had a, a financial crisis in the ministry. And it was a time when, when uh, Jeff was still working there as our general manager and, and, uh, and we were having a hard time financially. And in the natural, you know, you don't know what to do. And uh, so I told Joe and Jeff one day, I said, guys, we're going to get on our motorcycles and we're going to ride to maybe, what was it? Uh, we didn't go quite to Amarillo, I don't think, but we got close out there. So we, we got on the motorcycle and I said, we're going to go check in a hotel and we're going to pray in the spirit and get the wisdom of God. Because uh, I'm not sure what to do, but we've got to have a, a financial breakthrough right away. So we're going to pray in the spirit and find out what to do. So uh, we rode uh, to Abilene and we checked in a hotel in Abilene, went and got something to eat. And then we spent the next couple of days together just praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit, endeavoring to get the wisdom of God. Well, during that time, the Lord impressed upon us, don't sell the property. Now, let me back up a little bit. We had been offered before we, we went on that little journey, we had been offered half a million dollars for the property from the Crowley Independent School District. They wanted to build a school on it. Now, we paid 200000 so getting 500000 would have been a profit, you know. But that's one of the reasons why we went to pray to find out if that's what God wanted us to do, or if not, what do you want us to do? So selling the property for half a million dollars would have helped tremendously. But while we were praying, the Lord asked me this. He said, well, what are you going to sell next time? He said, selling the property is not the solution. And then he said this, and I never heard this phrase before. And I started preaching on it. He said, you need to remove the blessing blockers. You got blessing blockers in your ministry. And if you don't remove the blessing blockers, what are you going to sell next time? Because you're going to, you, you, might, you might get a little relief here, but you're going to wind up in the same mess if you don't remove the blessing blockers. So I went to studying the Bible of everything I could find that would block a blessing. Oh, and there's a lot of things. One of them was strife. Strife. So we removed certain things and we also had to remove certain people. And when we got the blessing blockers removed, God turned the whole thing around and we still had the property. Hallelujah. Okay. Now, years later, 
there was a portion of that property we never intended to develop. Uh, it was just part of the 102 acres, so we considered it just investment property. Okay? So years later, uh, now I had 102 acres, paid $200,000. So what is that an acre? About $2,000 an acre, right? Okay. So years later, and I shared a little bit of it this morning, I'm believing for this international aircraft. And a, a, a developer came out <clears throat> and said, I want to buy the 40 acres that you're not going to develop. So what does that mean? I paid 80000 I think I said 40000 this morning, but that was a mistake. It was another piece of property. I paid $80,000 for that 40 acres that he wanted to buy. And he gave me $1.5 million for it. Now look what I would have missed out on if I'd have sold it to the Crowley Independent School District for $500,000. See, this is what I call a heaven-born possibility. A heaven-born possibility. It emanated from God. And it came by praying in the Spirit. Okay? And it's producing breakthroughs. Okay? So I sold that piece of property, that 40 acres, for $1.5 million, put that in our aviation department, was able to pay cash for the, for the Falcon International Jet. Okay? And now we're in a building program. We're, about, we're, in, the, we're in the process of building a whole new church campus on the remaining acreage, that's 60 acres, 62 acres, that remains, and, and we're in that building uh, process, and all the land that I bought around the church that we have now, I paid $240,000 for uh, 70 acres, and I, would, I was given $2.5 million for it. Okay, so I've got the 2.5 million to put into the new church project along with offerings that have been received over a period of time. And we're believing to pay cash for this entire new campus. And of course, 2.5 won't even get close to what it's going to cost to build it, but it certainly helps. I call that a heaven-born possibility. Amen? A heaven-born possibility. We were in the right place at the right time. And let me give you one more part of this puzzle. Brother Copeland has about 1,500 acres on Eagle Mountain Lake that his ministry purchased years ago. Okay? Now, when he started building his international headquarters out there and his home, he called me and said, Jerry, uh, I'd like to give you and Carolyn property to build your home on next to us and I'll give you property to build your international ministry headquarters on. And I already have a set of plans drawn out and paid for that I believe would fit your ministry. After we, after we uh, uh, had them drawn and paid for, we realized this is not adequate enough for what we want to do. I'll, I'll give you the plans. I'll give you the land for your ministry. And I'll give you the, the land to build your house next door to me. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, that, that sounds like a no-brainer to me. <clears throat> Live next door to Kenneth Copeland? Give me his whole set of plans that he probably spent 
$100,000 on or more. Build my offices right out next to his. Be able to keep my airplane at his airport. Use his runways. But I prayed in the spirit. And the Lord said, no, I want you to stay where you are. Now, Crowley, Texas. If you've never been to Crowley, Texas, when I first moved out there, it had a spirit of poverty on it. Didn't it, Joe? Spirit of poverty. Everything. It's a little small town. And the mayor of that little town, he wouldn't do anything to improve it. In fact, we told the police department and the sheriff's department that we wanted to bless them and their families every year at Christmas and give them all a bonus. And the mayor made them, uh, uh, told us not to do it. He wouldn't allow it. So we had to do it behind his back. Because yes, <laughs> we wanted to bless our, yes. our police department and our fire department. And he thought we were doing it so they wouldn't give us tickets. Well, I come through there one time in my Corvette and I've lost track of speed. Corvettes are made to drive fast. So I come through there one time in my Corvette and the police department stopped me and he walked up there and said, oh, Brother Jerry, I'm sorry. I said, no, I was wrong. I was speeding. Give me a ticket. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to give you a ticket. You guys have been so good to us, blessing us at Christmas, our family. I said, no, sir. Give me a ticket. That's what the... And I had to repent later. What, your, what our stupid mayor is concerned about <laughs> is that we're trying to bribe the police department and the fire department. If we do anything wrong, they won't give us a ticket. I said, give me the ticket. I was wrong. I'll pay it, and I'm going to go show the mayor that I paid it. And then we prayed that mayor out. And now if you come to Crowley, oh, it's looking nicer. Oh, it's, I mean, they've completely redone Main Street. You wouldn't even know it, Jeff. Completely redone Main Street, building new buildings, tearing down old buildings. It is getting nicer and nicer by, by the minute. And the Lord said to me, I said, Lord, why do you want me to stay in Crowley? He said, what do you preach? Prosperity. He said, do you need any other information? <laughs> You're changing the climate of the city. Hallelujah. In fact, when we first moved out there, our ministry was the largest uh, recipient from the post office. And now there's manufacturers out there, Jeff. There's big companies out there. And, and I believe God had us there to change the environment of that community. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. God wants you to experience heaven-born possibilities. This is all part of breakthrough. Amen. It's all part of you experiencing breakthroughs. Hallelujah. Pray in the Spirit once again. Just pray in the Spirit there for a minute. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Father. We bless you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Now reach over and lay your hands on the person next to you. 
and pray in the Spirit for them. <clears throat> Glory to God. John, I'm going to pull a brother Copeland. Stand up and interpret. Here's the mic. Praise Jesus. I believe as we were praying in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit wanted you to know that if you will tap into the depths and the living wells of what's in your spirit, all the answers, all the solutions will come out. Do not be concerned with what's happening in your mind while you're praying in the Spirit. Do not be concerned about all the thoughts that are in the natural while you're praying in the Spirit. Let the Spirit man pray out that is what is in your spirit. So... Could I just flow a little bit, yeah. Brother Jerry, one, one minute? If I could just share with you a way to tap in. is If you begin to pray in the Spirit right now, don't think about what's going on in your mind. Focus on the words that are coming out of your spirit and let that help you focus what's going on in your spirit. Let's try that for a, just for a short while. Shombre stemra kondre bekendre kisho brande. Hembrendo sto compra basta brande le grande. Hembrote kishalam broste sembrenti di boste. Lembrama sto comprende cravale. Lombrondo sto brandi singrando longriste crembanto le boste. Embrese entremonde digando. Hashta banda calambro. Hashta in boste kenda bacanto. Correveste. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Let me say this. You have something else? No, sir. Uh, many times when you're in need of a breakthrough and you're praying in the Spirit and your mind becomes fruitful or you are interpreting what you've prayed in the Spirit, many times, and for me, most of the time, it involves the sowing of a seed. Amen. And I think that's where a lot of people miss it. You know, they, they, particularly if they need a financial breakthrough, then they're not thinking of sowing a seed. You know, uh, if you read Exodus and uh, where God called Moses up on the mountain and he spent how many days there? 40 days with him. Okay. God gave him a lot of instruction, gave him the law, a lot of instruction. The people are waiting for him. Joshua uh, stayed close to Moses. And when Moses came off that mountain, the people were expecting to hear the wisdom of God. He'd been in the presence of God for 40 days. And you know what the first thing he said to him? You know what the first thing God told him to do? Receive an offering. 
Now, don't you know that a lot of those people said, are you kidding me, Moses? Is that all you got in 40 days? Come back and take up an offering? But it had everything to do with where God wanted to take them. Had everything to do with their breakthrough. Amen? So a lot of times when you're praying in the Spirit and, and God gives you wisdom and insight into what you've been praying, it will include the sowing of a seed. Uh, most every breakthrough I've ever experienced I sowed a seed first before the breakthrough came. Amen. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to sow uh, in the, my ministry. Sow where God tells you to sow. But usually it will involve a seed. And the breakthrough follows. Amen. You receive all this tonight, praise God. Did it help you any? Okay, glad you came. Don't miss tomorrow night. Praise God. Amen. We are headed for some new territory. Glory. Some new things are on the horizon and you're going to like it. Praise God. Amen. Father, I pray over every person within the sound of my voice and I pray in Jesus name that what they've heard tonight has been beneficial to them, will help them. They will apply it. They are doers of the word and not hearers only. And, and I believe that Many of them will be able to testify soon that as they prayed in the Spirit, the wisdom of God came to them, knowing what to do, where to do it, how to do it, where to be, and position themselves for making it happen. In Jesus' name, your word says that this is profitable to every man, not just us in the ministry, even though we certainly do need the leading of the Holy Spirit. But this is for every person in the body of Christ to be led by the Spirit on the job, on the way to the job, on the way back home from the job. Just be led by the Spirit 24-7 in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it and praise you for it. Amen and amen. The very first house that Carol and I were able to purchase in Fort Worth after renting and leasing for a while, I was coming home and uh, where, where we were leasing a house, you had to cross the, at, the, at the intersection, then you cross the railroad tracks, then turn, make the first left, go one block and make the first right. And the little house we were leasing was just down about the middle of that street. I came home, was coming home one evening. And when I crossed the railroad tracks, I was praying in the spirit for something else. But then I heard the Lord say, turn right. That's not the way I go. I always turn left. He said, turn right. Now we were believing for our first house in Fort Worth. He said, turn right. So in obedience to the Lord, I turned right. He said, go two blocks and turn left. I went two blocks and I turned left. I went about halfway down the street and he said, look over to the right. And I looked over to the right and he said, there's your house. And the man was out uh, driving a, uh, a sign in the front yard. Okay? He just, just that day was driving a sign in the front yard. And so I, I walked up to him. I said, sir, I see your house is for sale. He said, yes. And he said, but I, I really already have somebody that's interested in it. But I told him I'm going to put the sign up just in case something fell through. And he said, so... Uh, 
I have to deal with them first uh, before I can sell it to you if you're interested in it. I said, yes, I'm interested in it. I said, I believe the Spirit of God led me here. Well, he don't understand that, but it, I don't have time to explain it to him. <laughs> so anyway, I said, I believe the Spirit of God led me here. And he said, okay. So uh, I went home and I said, Carolyn, get in the car. I want to show you our house. So we drove around there and the man had already gone in the house and I pointed to it. It's a beautiful little two-story Cape Cod looking home and uh, just perfect for what we were believing for. And I said, there's our house. And she said, I already know what it looks like. God showed me in the spirit what it looks like. I know exactly how many rooms it's in it. I know where each bedroom is, where the kitchen is. Where... She said, I already know the floor plan. She said, can we go look in it? I said, well, I'll go knock on the door and ask him. He said, yeah, come on in. And before we got past the hallway, she said to the man, can I describe what this house looks like before we walk through it? He said, you ever been in here before? She said, in the spirit. Well, he don't understand that. But anyway, she started describing. He said, that's amazing. It's exactly, that's the exact layout of this house. And I said, well, we believe this is our house. And anyway, the other guy fell through and, and decided he didn't want it. And we got it. And that was our very first home in Fort Worth. Now, Carolyn is so gifted that she can take a place that needs a mat set to it and turn it into a showpiece. And that's what she did. She began putting her touch on it. And, and the Lord said, you're only going to be here two years and I have something better prepared for you. And it was to build a brand new house out on a lake. We got enough, we doubled our investment in that house and put it in that new house that we built on the lake, a custom built home on the lake. We were in it one year and I'm home one Saturday morning. In fact, I was going out to do some flying and I hadn't left the house yet. And, uh, uh, I got a knock on the door and a man said, uh, uh, I'm interested in your house. I said, well, it's not for sale. He said, everything's for sale. I said, well, I've only been here a year and we really haven't thought about selling it. He said, well, I'm from Virginia. I've been relocated down here working, going to go to work for General Dynamics. And my wife sent me down here to find her a house. I drove by here, saw your house. And this is the one my wife would love. I'd like to buy it. I said, well, sir, I appreciate that, but it's not for sale. He said, let me make you an offer. He offered twice what I had in it. I said, you know, sir, I got up this morning thinking this place was for sale. <laughs> I sold it to him and then took the money and put it into another house that had been built and owned by Senator John Kinley. Wow. You remember him? He was the man in the limo with the... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yes, yes. JFK when he was assassinated. Okay. He built that house and it, it had been vacant for a while. Carolyn saw it and it needed a lot of work on it. She said, Jerry, buy me this house. I'll make it into a showpiece. So we bought it with the money we got out of that other place. And uh, she put her touch on it. And we sold it for twice what we had in it. Yeah. And then that enabled us to build the house that we've been in for like 35 years now. It's Carolyn's dream house. And it has my dream garage with it. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Okay. Now look, look how the Lord is opening doors and breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Amen. I am not in the real estate business, but God has always blessed me with real estate and has always doubled my investment. You know, I, there's been times when I'm just driving down the road and you say, uh, that piece of property over there, buy it. I'll buy it. Wind up doubling my investment and be able to put it into something else that we've been believing for. So heaven-born possibilities are awaiting you. Give the Lord a shout if you believe it. Amen.